Welcome to Environmentality, a podcast for current environmental news, lectures, and interviews with the experts. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony. Let's dive on in. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. We are back with another episode with a very special guest, one of my dear friends, Sam Becker Miadai. He is a food systems photographer and has had some incredible experiences traveling around the world, hanging out with farmers, touring all sorts of cool farms, getting really great experiences in those agricultural food systems. So I'm very happy to have him on to have him share a little bit about those experiences. Thanks for being here, Sam. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, man. So how about you go ahead and just jump on into it and give us a little bit of your background and how you got interested in the environment and in agriculture? Yeah, I guess short and sweet. It's actually kind of fitting. I'm talking here from uh, Japan right now, um, from Oiso, Japan. And uh, I'm at my grandparents' place. And they they have, if you could see out the window right here, they have a, a pretty massive garden in their yard. But then also my Gigi has a mountain garden. So yeah, I think that's kind of a, a, a subconsciously a deep part of or been a part of my background since even I was a little kid. I can remember going out back here, helping my grandma and my baba pick out the Japanese plums and pickle those into umeboshi and helping my Gigi weed up in the mountain garden he has going on. So that's kind of, I guess, since childhood, but more recently, probably for like environmental awareness, definitely started in high school. Um, where it kind of reignited the environmental uh, science class that I took with one of my favorite teachers all time, Dr. Savage. I'm sure you've heard me talk about him, but shout out to Dr. Savage for getting me on on the train of learning about different environmental policies and different, uh, yeah, important uh, intersections between food and humans and the planet and animals, just everything going on. So yeah, yeah, I think those are a couple, couple spots for me that Definitely got me on the the, the road to the, the journey of, uh, of learning about the environment and being an environmentalist. Yeah, no, that's great. And so this this Dr. Savage at your high school, was there a farm there at your school as well? I think you mentioned a little bit about aquaponics there as well. Yeah, yeah. So that that class was awesome because he, he actually hooked uh, myself and a couple buddies into the class because he said, hey, we're not going to just be doing homework and lectures. I'm going to have you guys build some aquaponic systems, hydroponic systems. We're going to research those and like hands-on like DIY yeah. building. And so my kind of class. Yeah. 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 So definitely uh, got, got hooked on that. And I, I know that's for you and I, where we, we earlier on connected at Biola, but yeah, aquaponics, hands-on working like that. And then also going out and seeing some different systems around there too. Um, in the neighborhood. Cool. Yeah. And I think that that brings us to kind of how we met was again, for this shared love of, of aquaponics. It's how I think a lot of us met uh, who are on the team at Harvestcraft. And so you do marketing obviously for the organization at Harvestcraft. And we got connected at Biola with the aquaponic farm on campus. And so you had those, you know, previous experiences, I guess at your high school, and then we got connected and then we actually went down to Mexico together and we built an aquaponic farm down there. Oh yeah, that that was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> the best tacos. The best fish tacos. <laughs> I love it. So that's pretty rad. So okay, so you had this kind of up 
upbringing with your grandparents kind of exposing you to agriculture. You had some experiences in high school and then college. And now at this point, you're seeing agriculture in many different contexts, you know, one in Japan and and in Mexico and then urban ag here in the States. What were some of these other experiences in agriculture that you've had? Yeah, I've been, as you know, a learner and someone that's enjoyed learning and kind of having my hand in a, a few different pots. So stemming back to kind of Biola days or being located in Southern California, I, I had the opportunity to to volunteer and work with uh, the gangster gardener in uh, South Central LA, um, work with him a little bit. I then also connected with Tanaka Farms, which is a, a third, fourth generation now, Japanese American uh, run farm over in Irvine. Um, and then I uh, got to reconnect with Dr. Savage and hop to Israel-Palestine area, work with a, a farm there, build a, a mini aquaponic system, but they're a fully off-the-grid farm run by two brothers there. So I've been I've been hopping around. And then HarvestCraft, we did the, the Cambodia uh, sustainability farm for the rescued girls from uh, the sex trade. So hopping around and then even up till, I guess, fast forward now, um, the last couple months I've been in northern Japan. Um, I was in Yamagata Prefecture with a rice and mochi farmer there and then hopped even further north, uh, almost to Russia uh, wow. and was in Hokkaido, um, just got back from there and was working with a predominantly uh, potato farmer, but he's got other kind of integrated staple crops into his his production cycle. But yeah, I've been I've been hopping around and yeah, just trying to be a sponge and learn about the food systems here in Japan, but then even obviously locally in Southern California and um, all around, yeah, even to all Mexico. Over the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, full circle. <laughs> so it's great, man. You're definitely a, a globe trotter and a jet setter as it comes to you seeking out agricultural educational experiences and and being a sponge, as you said, I love to maybe just dive in and maybe get snapshots of experiences and things you've learned at each of those experiences. So maybe perhaps we can start at the most local, which was in the Los Angeles area with the gangster gardener. So who is the gangster gardener? Who is he and and what is he all about? And and what did you learn from him? Yeah, definitely. So gangster gardener is uh, Ron Finley. I'm sure some of you have seen his TED talk. If not, definitely Google Gangster Gardener Ron Finley, and it'll probably be the first hit that comes up yeah. online. But yeah, he he's an awesome uh, individual working in South Central. He grew up in in that area and was actually, I think, initially background was he was working in kind of the fashion industry and was a designer, but then saw a real um, need in his community and even in his his own kind of diet and backyard of there being a, a lack of fresh food uh, for the community. And so he went about in a gangster fashion, just started planting uh, fruits, vegetables in that little space between the sidewalk and the street. Um, if you've walked through uh, LA, you know, there's not too much typical green space that you'd think of, but uh, he got creative with it and started planning in that space. And it attracted uh, the attention of his neighbors, but then um, actually attracted the attention of the local government. And initially they said that you can't grow food in that space, but he kind of protested that, got petition a petition signed and got the, the law reversed for LA County to where folks can now grow 
food forests, as he says, uh, in in their neighborhoods and um, even in that little uh, spot between the sidewalk and the street. So he was really innovative. I, I just reached out to him over Twitter and he's like, yeah, sure, come on down. And so over the span of maybe four or five months, I kind of tried to consistently go down there at least once or twice a week, help out planning things, cleaning up. He does a annual event kind of festival called The Function, where he brings out all of his community and different artists and creative folks and food trucks, all, all, the, all the stops. And he's just a big uh, community guy that I, I feel like took it upon himself to, to bring change. And so definitely gangster in that way and, uh, <laughs> and, and an innovator in that way. So it's it fun to rub shoulders with him and pick his brains and yeah, learn, learn that you don't need to wait for someone to, to kind of make a change in your own life or in your community, you you go about and do it. And he, yeah. he's kind of been about that. I think he even has actually, I saw recently he has a master class. Yeah, master class. So he, uh, yeah, he's he he's doing something right and people are attracted sure. to it. And he's an honest guy that's just trying to, to make a change in, in his community. So yeah, lots to yeah. learn from him. Oh, that's great. You know, and I think he's really addressing the intersection of this idea of environmental justice where wanting to take care of people and planet at the same time and and realizing that in urban areas we so often have what are called food deserts where there's not locally fresh you know healthy produce for people who are typically lower income who are mm-hmm. disadvantaged societally to be able to gain access to that great food right you have a 7-Eleven or a Burger King but you don't have a fresh tomato or you know a fresh orange and so I love that philosophy of just wanting to grow food in these food deserts and try and make food more accessible for people who are disadvantaged. And again, not only help the people in that situation, but again, really restore the environment because we see so many negative implications, you know, as we see urban sprawling taking place and, you know, urban heat island effect of just having all this concrete, and not enough greenery. And so I really love where he's working at in terms of that intersection of people and planet. And it's cool to see it being done in an innovative way, as you said, and to bring culture alongside of that, right? It's cool. There's like all these great influences from the fashion and music industry. And obviously you're in the heart of LA. So uh, it's definitely very exciting to see it all and to have this great melting pot of so many influences centered around food production. Oh, totally. I agree a hundred percent. So how about how about we start getting into maybe this long legacy of Japanese farmers? So we can start with the ones closest to you in Southern California, which was the Tanaka family. And then let's start jumping into some of your experiences in Japan as well. Yeah, definitely. The experience in Irvine with Tanaka farms was tremendous. They're Again, like I said, a uh, third, fourth generation now, Japanese-American farming family. I think they came over from Hiroshima back in like the early 1900s, and then they've been in Orange County farming in different areas. But yeah, they're, they're incredible. It was fun to learn from them because they're, they're running a 30-acre farm, full-functioning farm. And to see what they've done, 30 acres is not small, but also not... Uh, huge and so they've they've been really creative in their CSA program and having agrotourism uh, in the in the sense of having school groups and any folks that want to come cruise through you can do a wagon tour a, a food tasting tour of of the farm and get to try all the seasonal fruits and vegetables 
Um, and then in addition to that, they've, uh, they have like a farmer's market, a little stand, and they're just doing a, a number of cool things. And they even have an event venue. And so they're just doing a bunch of cool things to, to bring people into the, the space of the farm, but then also even just educate them and connect them with where yeah. uh, their food is coming from or where their food could be coming from. Yeah, it, it was a super fun opportunity to to do wagon tours and uh, <laughs> and uh, with the school groups and like uh, have these these kids who had never tasted a fresh carrot or pepper or cucumber come in off the vine and be like, wow, wait, this is this is what it tastes like. Oh, yeah, I can eat it with, actually with some. Like. Yeah, I can actually eat it with a little dirt on it. It doesn't matter sure. and. These kids would would freak out and be like, "Oh wait, it's actually sweet by itself. I don't need ranch." Like right. so, and then it just trigger a bunch of other questions. And they also even do uh, fruit picking. Um, this is starting to sound like a little commercial for Tanaka <laughs> Farms. But come on down to Tanaka Farms. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, really, they have a little bit of everything. And uh, yeah, the the kids would go out in the field and pick their strawberries and be so so excited to go home and uh, show their parents what they're what they're picking I couldn't tell you how many times there'd be a family coming back to the farm a kid or a mom would come up to me and be like hey my son just came here or my daughter just came here like two weeks ago they were so excited we ate all the strawberries and we mm-hmm. wanted to like check out the other stuff you have going on so they're yeah they're a, a kind of an awesome again community. Uh, shaper and leader, and then also I think uh, playing a key role in educating folks in that the the Orange County area on what kind of a, a modern day farm could look like because you need to be kind of creative with it with multiple yeah. revenue streams and also even just having different ways of of impacting folks and keeping them coming back. And so yeah, I've I've drawn a lot of inspiration from them from. Glenn and Kenny Tanaka and the rest of the family and the folks that have been the other farmers that have been helping them out. So it's a, it's a good community. For sure. And I think it's really cool just to see even maybe the contrast between those two early influencers in your life in terms of agricultural experience, where Ron Finley is bringing plants and ag to people's doorsteps and bringing the ag to them. And then now Tanaka Farms is allowing a space for people to come to the ag. And now they can learn. And so there's these different platforms where people can engage with agriculture and where the food is coming from and learning about these things and reap the benefits holistically, right? It's healthier food. You get to be outside. Now you're bringing the community in. Now you're bringing the family in. And it's cool to see how agriculture continues to be such a place where community is centered around. And I think what's cool is to hear you talk about that even in two different models, bringing ag to people and people to ag community is still the focus. And I think that's really, powerful. no, totally. I, I think that's exactly where it's at. And I mean, you and I have talked about this before of the, the future of ag and the future farmers, the next generation, what could that look like? And I think that's, it's going to be a, a, a mixed system that is very creative and community oriented, but it's going to be in urban settings. It's going to be in suburban settings. It's going to be still in the rural settings and it's going to uh, engage folks from all different walks of life. And uh, no, I, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful network. For sure. So speaking of a beautiful network, here's my segue. <laughs> 
we had a we had a really cool network of people in Cambodia. Maybe if you just want to explain the coalition of organizations that were involved at the farm in Cambodia briefly, and and what we did there at the site in terms of that experience and the agricultural piece. Yeah, Cambodia was a a, a special special time to really see the intersection of environmental social justice, or I guess social justice come together with uh, kind of environmental stewardship and care. And so, yeah, partnering with with Pastor Hong and, uh, and the Agriculture Institute there to come up with a contextual system or series of uh, food food production systems uh, from the fish farm to the to the chicken coop to even just the different fruit trees we had going on. It was cool to be a part of kind of planning all of that out with the pastor, uh, Pastor Hong, and then also get the feedback from the agriculture students there of what right. grows well, what what would be able to be sold in the marketplace. And yeah, be a part of setting up uh, a, a foundation for that greater social justice cause of what they were what they were fighting for, of uh, bringing girls out from cities and helping them in kind of uh, skill training, and then also kind of rehabilitation therapy as well by working on the farm. So it was just a beautiful uh, uh, kind of intersection of all of those elements, and being again able to work with community leaders. Um, that were tapped into uh, the the needs of of the folks that they that they were representing and working with. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a lot of fun uh, to 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 be on the ground yeah. there and working on that project. Yeah, you know, it was a really cool project to watch come together. You know, I obviously wasn't there during that time, but watching you guys out there put everything together and, and work with that network of people who were invested in developing the property, who were in the, in the process of developing the programs in terms of rescuing the girls and and then developing the school on site and then connecting with the agricultural institute it was just this really awesome consortium of organizations all working together towards this common goal which was wanting to enhance the environment for the sake of healing the community and healing these girls coming out of these really traumatic situations and one of the other big takeaways i love from that is as you're mentioning wanting to be contextualized in our approach in terms of what would truly benefit the community in terms of agricultural mm-hmm. production, we embraced a whole new production system that we really knew nothing about, which was frogs. Yes. I want to share maybe <laughs> a little bit about leading into that and, and then how we kind of stumbled into having what I would say the best frogs in Cambodia. Uh, yeah. No, that actually, that, that is funny. Um, the no, many people don't. I don't know if we we documented or shared as much about it um, when we were on the ground there. But um, yeah, we went there initially with some uh, plans for um, an aquaponic system and a few other systems. But when we got there, we quickly learned that again, contextually, they were looking for this and this kind of uh, food, and we found out that frogs uh, can grow grow big, taste like chicken, and uh, they, they're they popular in the market. Really they really, do. they seriously do. Hey, everyone, if you haven't tried a frog, I don't actually, I don't know if you can get it at your local market, but um, the, uh, <laughs> we're just we're plugging, plugging everything. everything. Shout out to everything. But um, <laughs> shout, shout out, out frogs. frogs. But um, no, it, it was fun because it was an unexpected new food system that we were 
learning all about from our, our Agriculture Institute connection. And he took us to another local frog farmer. And so we were learning about what goes into that process and how feasible it would be for training the girls and the folks managing the farm to run. And then even how do we, how do we build it out and make it sustainable to last beyond our, our stay there and helping build it out. So, um, no, that was fun. It, it, it was a, a good learning experience. And I think that's something with farming, right? You're always in that spot of learning and humility of where you don't, you don't have all the answers, but you get the opportunity sure. to, to learn and meet new people who do have uh, some answers or a piece of the pie. And so um, that was a cool one to get to learn uh, way more information yeah. about frogs and uh, uh, frog farming <laughs> than, than I'd ever expected or, or knew. So, yeah. That's great. And so then this brings us now into Japan, because as you guys flew home from Cambodia, you got to spend some time in Japan visiting some awesome farmers, amazing farms. Perhaps we can discuss maybe some of those key highlights mm-hmm. from those farms, the indoor strawberry farm in Fukushima, and then Takayo Furuno's mm-hmm. rice duck farm. Maybe share a little bit about these experiences and then how that led you to want to come back and obviously now spend you know, a considerable amount of time in Japan now. Over these totally. Yeah. The, the uh, farm in uh, Kyushu, Takayo for Furuno's farm, the integrated rice and duck farm was cool. Actually, so full circle again, Tanaka Farms, they actually introduced me to the, actually, I'm mixing it up. They introduced me to the strawberry farm, but, and Craig, Craig introduced uh, me to the, to the, the famous uh, rice and duck farmer, but still all of them kind of connected. Right. And so, yeah, when we were, when we were kind of on our stop back from uh, Cambodia, I obviously insisted that we we made a mandatory stop to, to visit my grandparents, see their farm, but then also connect with these other folks that uh, we'd identified here that were running some very uh, cool systems and seeing some good success. And so, yeah, the, the duck farmer, Tako Furuno-san in uh, Kyushu, he was doing as I said, integrated rice and duck farming. And it was cool because he he had switched over from traditional ag and went kind of full, full on permaculture style and was testing how how he could grow rice without using herbicides or pesticides, have the biggest yield and profit. And so with that, he he found uh, kind of the technique, the old technique. Actually, it's been happening for for a number of years, and and it kind of uh, is based on the principle of and like brings us back to the even like aquaponics stuff we were talking about of that idea of of an ecosystem where if you you have different plugins like a duck, um, you have a natural pest control, and then also you have a, a fertilizer generator going on and so he yeah he'd uh done some research on his own um and found that i think in some even kind of ancient texts and books that he'd been reading about that farmers back in japan in the the older days were doing that he then found out that they were also doing uh some spots were doing that in china um and was finding that it was a successful technique in uh and doing uh an integrated farming system that would allow him to remove those right. those inputs of harmful inputs of pesticides and herbicides. And so 
yeah, it was cool to get a tour from him and see see how how they're running things, and then see even kind of new evolutions yeah. of things that he was testing. Like even when we were there, they have pretty big. Uh, I think they're scarecrows or a variety of scarecrow, and so he was testing. He had like these fishing lines that he'd set up acro- all the way across like the field that basically snagged the if if a scarecrow tried to fly in and take out a baby duck or just mess with things uh it would block the the scarecrow from from flying into the field and uh disrupting the ecosystem and so yeah overall just uh, another kind of tremendous uh tremendous farmer yeah. that again his his property was like 6 5 hectares which I forget exactly <laughs> to translate that. To, about yeah. like 10. Yeah, but 10 he was acres. feeding like 100 and he told us he, he has like 150, mm. 170 families that he he was providing uh, food for with via right. CSA program of sorts and then also just kind of locally selling at the market. And so, and his yield, he said, yeah. was something insane, like three or four times that of his neighboring rice farmers. Yeah. And so, Again, it was is a cool great. example of across the world where these different types of techniques of regenerative agriculture, permaculture, what you will, um, are being applied and helping out yeah. not only the farmer but the the local community there. So, um, yeah, that's that's the duck farmer, uh, the legend Taco Furuno-san. So, I think what's really cool about that experience is again, it's this idea of what I like to call agroecology, this idea of mimicking ecology in our agricultural systems. And again, this idea of not relying on chemistry, but relying on biology to do the work that needs to be done, which in this case was pest control and fertilizer input. And so again, where you have a problem in terms of trying to now solve it with a chemical application, you now integrate biology and ecology in terms of having this predator, a duck, which can now do the pest removal, do the pest management, and again, integrate then the fertilizer input in terms of its manure. What I've seen also, which is really cool in these systems is go even like further and adding fish into that equation as well, which can also help with pest management and adding fertilizer. And then also grow what's called a, like a duckweed on top, which is a a Zola species. Yeah. Which can also float on the water and again, add nitrogen input and then the fish can actually eat on like the roots of that plant. And so you can even go like further integrated in terms of that system. And again, what that is, is it's further mimicking ecology because when we look at ecosystems, they're always Mm -hmm. diverse in, in terms of biological diversity. And so having more of that diversity in your agricultural system means more productivity means greater output and less reliance on chemistry and inputs. And as a result, then you become more profitable because now you don't need to be buying all these things because you have nature doing that work for you. And so I think those types of systems are extremely powerful and it's cool to see them exemplified on a small piece of land, be so successful because I think it takes farmers like that, like Tanaka, like Ron Finley, like all these guys to be successful in what they're doing so that the dominoes can begin to fall and other people can start to adopt these types of methods as well. So it's cool to hear the success of that style of farming. I think we're starting to hear it more and more. So kind of on a whole different side of the spectrum. So we have like this back to the roots, back to nature approach. On the other side, we have this like moving forward, high technology type approach. So 
that would be like this urban ag style. And so I know you got to experience some of that with this mm-hmm. strawberry farm in Japan as well. So go ahead and show us and explain to us some of that. Yeah, that yeah, totally. Japan. So that was up in uh, Fukushima area, uh, Sendai area. And so obviously a lot of people probably remember Fukushima or know of Fukushima because of the the tragedy, the disaster that happened there with the nuclear plant back in, uh, I think it was 2011 now. And so, yeah, that region is actually a, a big agriculture kind of farming, small farming region. And so they're really well known for their strawberries um, as one of kind of their staple crops. And the gentleman that started the strawberry farm there, we got connected to, Craig and I got connected to him uh, from the Tanaka Farms uh, network. And so Tanaka Farms actually does a fundraiser each year and they're they're sending different funds to different farmers and they connected with this strawberry farm. And basically the cool thing about this strawberry farm was it sprung up from an IT guy who grew up in the area. And after the, the tragedy of the tsunami that happened, he, he was back in, in town helping with the relief efforts, cleaning and doing all the, the different work there. And he, he realized that a lot of the farmers there were completely devastated and did not have any of their land, any of their equipment, any of the means to make their livelihood happen. And so his goal was to, to figure out a way to, to help them farm again. And so uh, he found that the solution was, in this case, was a, a hydroponic setup because basically the soil had been pretty deeply contaminated there with, with all the uh, nuclear energy that kind of the the remains that were left there and so they had to kind of figure out a system that would work above ground at least for now and so he set up basically these warehouse uh, strawberry farms and his goal was when we were there he had communicated his goal was to have 10,000 local farmers hired um, in the next 10 years and have over a hundred different warehouse farms. And these are, uh, these were massive, massive warehouse, uh, warehouse greenhouse kind of setups. And it was cool because he took his background in IT and was doing the number crunching to figure out how to make things profitable. Um, but then also using his IT background and his network to bring in folks from kind of that area to have this, this uh, system where they're uh, integrating nutrient-rich water. They're doing different kind of pest management. They're growing, trying to grow the healthiest and uh, most nutritious uh, strawberry. And they're even exploring ways of making like strawberry champagne and like different things to come up with different uh, as having kind of a business background and marketing background. Uh, It was cool to me to see how they're like thinking out of the box Mm -hmm. and trying to come up with other different products or things that they could sell locally and sell in Tokyo and sell in different regions in Japan. Um, Right. Well, that was something that was very similar to my experience. I went to this really big greenhouse production system in Iceland where again, you know, they can't grow outdoors. They have a really short growing season, super gnarly winds, freezing temperatures. So the only way they can really produce fruit is indoors. They actually have bananas in some of these greenhouses, but they're really big on tomatoes. 
And so they had this huge tomato like greenhouse area and you can go and you can eat dinner inside wow. of the greenhouse. It was really cool. And it was like everything tomato, same thing. So you ate tomato soup with burrata and tomato pesto and they had tomato beer and tomato coffee oh and like everything tomato you can imagine. <laughs> and it's in the same type of way, you know, just trying to like leverage and market these really cool products to people in Reykjavik and, and tourists that are coming in. But it's cool to see how like, again, this is how I feel about farming systems is that you need a whole suite of them. There's not one farming system that is the best because in a diversity of farming systems, you have a diversity of thought, you have diversity of backgrounds, you have people that are going back to nature, mimicking ecology, you have people with IT backgrounds, you know, using marketing and technology and, and all this other type of technological advancements to be just as successful and just as sustainable. And I think that's really cool to see the whole spectrum of nature to advanced technology, all being harnessed for the sake of producing food and taking care of the environment and taking care of people. Love it. Yes. Agree. <laughs> so I feel like I kind of cut you off. So you, I guess what would be your biggest takeaway mm -hmm. from maybe some of these early farming system experiences that led you to now spend the last few months of your life farming in japan yeah i guess there's so much again going back to that learning piece right there's so much uh to learn so many different types of systems so many different types of farmers um and people from cool different backgrounds like for example the farm that i just got back from up in hokkaido that guy uh akito-san he him and his wife yoko-san they they're actually they were living in tokyo and being fairly successful, he was a, a salaryman working an HR job, but wanted to change it up and run his own business and do all that. So I think that the big uh, takeaway is that you can, we can all do it. We can all kind of either support businesses or farms, big or small, that are doing the right things, or you can go to these different places and learn more about it. I think, sorry, your, your main question there. I kind of went off. I got excited about maybe talking about uh, the the potato farm in Akito-san there. But what was your initial question there? So I guess you've had such a diversity of experiences in agriculture. Mm -hmm. And now, I guess I would assume that that has motivated you to a place where you've now, again, invested a lot of time in now being a part of a more direct role and more of a direct player in that food production mm -hmm. aspect because you've been now in Japan for the past few months and we'll talk about mm -hmm. that, what you've been doing. But I guess I'm curious, like what prime do you, like what's your biggest, I think, motivation that led you to do what you've been doing, which is now like farming, <laughs> like you've been out doing the work. You're not just like touring and giving some, uh, you know, learning and getting some educational experiences. Like you are playing an active role in that food production system now. What primed you? What motivated you to be a part I of I think I, again, yeah. Okay, now I remember where I was going with what I was saying. Lear, learning. <laughs> so, no, I'm just a curious person. And so I was wanting to learn sure. more hands in the ground, getting dirt between the nails, boots on the ground, just working, walking side by side, rubbing shoulders with the farmers and learn what their, their day in the life uh, routine looks like and how it's hard and how it's even rewarding and uh, what motivates and inspires them. I think subconsciously, I'm, I'm at kind of that crossroads in, uh, in my life where I'm trying to 
start to hone in on on work that would really kind of inspire me for the long term and be motivating for me to invest into um, for the long term. So I've been considering running my own own farm. I don't know in what context or where or what exactly I'd be farming, but I think I wanted to kind of research and even prove to myself that I could I could do it. I could hang with farmers and and uh, and do yeah. that. I mean, I'm not uh, coming from like a heavy farming background. You could call me a city boy or whatever, but I, I wanted to see if I can hang with the farmers and, and learn what they're doing and uh, even just connect again with, I, I as you can tell, I, I view these these farmers and food systems, not just as food systems, but as relationships and as uh, people mm-hmm. and faces. And so um, to connect with different farmers um, in these different regions in Japan, and then as we've been talking about in previous years has been special because there, there's this opportunity to one, go back and visit them and connect with them or introduce them to another farmer in the area or give them maybe a potential connection for work or whatnot, but then also have that, that vision in my mind every time I go into the grocery store when I'm trying to decide what I'm going to buy or when I'm talking with, with friends or family to bring awareness to, to what's going on in the food systems. Um, having this experience, I think, is, is uh, kind of leaps and bounds beyond uh, the kind of dabbling I've done in the past um, and allowed me to kind of really sink my teeth into what the, the rigors are of farming and uh, even understand even more deeply the the beauties of farming and the the kind of the reward that deep satisfaction. I mean, you've you've been working on on a farm for the last several years with your your masters and now your PhD and you're doing kind of stuff I've always envied that as well. So uh, I can I can now <laughs> yeah. uh, connect on that point of just the, the there's just something deeply for satisfying sure. in the soul when you get to take a bite into, in your case, pe- a peach, or in my case, uh, eat a bowl of rice at the end of the day, or, or uh, <laughs> have some, yeah. uh, some potatoes that, that we cooked up or sweet corn that we harvested from the field. And so nothing better, nothing honestly. better. So it's great. So it sounds like in just some of the, the, the way that you're talking about it now, that in a lot of ways, your motivations have kind of been more or less fulfilled. You know, we've been kind of referencing a, a lot and alluding to it a lot. So you've been in Japan over the past few months. Maybe if you just want to give a brief rundown of what you've been doing and, and again, what that experience has been like for you to now be a participant in a direct way in terms of food production. All of us as consumers are participants in the agricultural system, but now you're playing like a very direct role in terms of getting the boots on the ground and getting the dirt under your fingernails. So what has that experience been like and what have you been Yeah, so the, the side of, I guess, what I've been up to, uh, one part is language learning, but then two is also the, the element I think you opened with saying food systems photographer. And so, yeah, I've been trying to help uh, document for these farmers uh, a little bit of their process. I have a background in marketing and digital marketing. So wherever they want it or need it or have questions about it, I've been trying to take photos, do video, um, and then even do SEO, digital marketing strategy, consulting, give them different ideas to think of ways that they can better engage their local communities and the greater Japanese audience or even international audience. And so that's kind of been the heart behind my engaging with these different farmers 
is providing something that I know, uh, kind of in, in that exchange of getting to learn a little bit from them and be inspired by uh, these farmers on what they know and what they're doing. And so I've been doing that. And then the language learning, obviously, I'm half Japanese. And so kind of connecting with that side of my heritage and my roots um, has been kind of in the back of my mind for a while and really wanting to dive into that. But what better way to fully immerse yourself in a language to, to go to a remote farm that, yeah. uh, that doesn't have too many English speakers and you have to figure out by Japanglish and creative sign language and uh, smiles and laughs, how to communicate. And so that's been special as well and something that has been kind of another underlying goal for for my time and work I've been cool. doing the last couple of months. Great. And so you've been working on a rice farm and that rice ends up as a final product as mochi. If you want to just maybe give us a brief rundown of how mochi goes from the <laughs> field to Yeah, the yeah. So I didn't know this actually at all before I, I started working at the, the rice and mochi farm. Uh, shout out to Komeyakata and Yamagata prefecture but they they actually grow a specific type of rice for mochi and so i didn't know that there's obviously it makes sense that there's all different varieties of rice we usually just see kind of a particular rice right what makes it different is it stickier is it have i think it's it's stickier and then i i'm guessing yeah it has to deal with the sugar sugar part of it. I got too caught up in eating it. I should have asked what exactly is the the makeup of it. But no, definitely in terms of the texture, it was stickier. And uh, they would take that and then put that into almost a gentle blender of sorts. looks like one of those things that they use for baking um, when you like make cookies or whatever the, I forget what those are called. I feel like all the all the families have them or used to have them the like little the... the little rotating wow we're such I dudes. Know, yeah yeah the kitchen the, aid, the kitchen aid. aid yes that's it yeah 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 <laughs> the kitchen aid it, it was like a bigger version of that <laughs> or like two oh my gosh right now. yeah the the kitchen aid is like a bigger version of the kitchen aid and we put the the mochi rice in there after we'd we'd steamed it like traditional rice um, and then had that rice put in there and then we take it from that to uh this they had a really cool i don't remember it was like old uh like made out of solid wood this big old mochi pounding bowl wood bowl and so you put it in there and then they had based on kind of the the weight of how much mochi they're making that day they make it fresh for for they they had a restaurant that they were running a little restaurant and then they also would ship and mail it around japan uh tokyo is a big market for them so but yeah we pound it in that mochi bowl and depending on how much we needed for that day i would just do how many pounds they told me they'd say you're gonna do four, you're gonna do 120 pounds in sets of 20 and so it straight up was like a crossfit full-on like body workout and they you'd shout it out you'd have to be counting out loud together like the three or four of you there's someone that's spotting you as you you smash the mochi they move it and make sure it isn't sticking to the wood bowl and so it's super fun it was a whole new kind of experience i think i'd done it maybe like once when i was real little but i very vaguely remembered and so to just be immersed in that and do it multiple days back to back their big mochi season is coming up here in December. So they've tried to recruit me. I might, I might be going back there. And so you were that good. That, at that's what they were the saying. Hammer, huh? I, 
I, I, I don't know. Like, whoa, big muscle man over here. <laughs> They're like, we'll give you a few extra sets here. You're, you're going to do 160 today. But yeah, if you're if you're in Japan, which you might be in 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 the winter time frame, we can maybe make a stop there, and I can get you in the the mochi workout cool. system. Yeah, I like it. Mochi fit. Mochi yes. fit. <laughs> good, good. I love it. So how about this? I want to try something with you if you're up for it. I'm going to go ahead and say mm. a word or a phrase. And you'll just say the first word that comes okay. to your mind. And this way, we'll, we'll maybe perhaps summarize some of the <laughs> big takeaways from all these. One, one word? One word. Okay. First word. I think right, so. Ready? Here we go. Aquaponics. Gosh, hold on. That doesn't count. Those don't count as my words. I feel like we were just doing fishbowl here. Hold on. <laughs> Aquaponics. Go quick. First word. Fish. So literal. Okay. Okay. All right. Mexico. <laughs> okay. Okay. You can say you can say a word. <laughs> there you go. You can do a word okay. or a phrase. How about that? Okay. That okay. way you're not so limited. But just the first first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. So aquaponics <laughs> was fish. <laughs> well, I'm warming up here. Okay. Give me a moment. Okay. Okay. Maybe that was we'll that was the one, one from that was the from, okay. from this. Here. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Japan. Family. Mochi. The best. Agriculture. The future. Farmers. Entrepreneurs. Travel. Learning. Environment. Wait. Oh my this one's this one's hard. Beauty. Agroecology. Harvest craft. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> okay. Okay, last one. Frogs. Chicken. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> Honestly, if KFC, if, K- if Buffalo Wild Frogs come into yes, a location totally. near you, <laughs> or if KFC opens and and <laughs> KFF, yeah, that was good. That was hard. I love it. Beautiful man. Not yeah, they were hard. They were hard. I uh, I appreciate your your honesty and just your ability to reflect on so many amazing experiences. I mean, I'm I'm quite envious to be honest. You know, we've talked about agriculture, and it's just so it's so broad in terms of what you can put into it, what you can get out of it, the diversity of production, the diversity of people. We've talked about design and innovation. We've talked about the intersection of the environment, social justice talked about the need to be a learner, to be contextualized to your culture, to be able to go back to nature in terms of resilience and ecology while also being forward thinking and integrating technology and marketing. And, you know, it's so vast and it's so diverse and it's such a beautiful field. I've obviously, you know, given my life to learning more about it. And it's cool to see you now fully embracing it and not just being a participant on the consumption side, but now being a participant in the production side. And just to hear the big takeaways that you are gleaning from that is really powerful and really beautiful. And I appreciate you spending some time and sharing about all no, your it's been a it's been a real pleasure to to do it and to even verbally almost process some of it with you. It's it's been a lot of fun here today. Yeah, of course, man. Well thanks so much. Any last advertisements and shout outs you want to get in? <laughs> oh man, I don't not off the top of my head. I've I think I've I've drained the 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 barrel of 
of shout outs and advertisements, <laughs> but I can, I mean, I definitely feel like I can be a, a resource to folks if they want to reach out and DM or email yeah. or whatnot. And if they want to connect. That'd be great. What's your handle? What's your website? How can people get in I think the easiest way probably is via Instagram at Sam B Miadai underscore. Um, they can find me there. They can, you can DM me there or emails the same at Sam B or Sam B Miadai at gmail.com. But yeah, if the folks have questions on farms they can get connected with in the Southern California area, or even as they're traveling, it's been fun to connect with different farmers all across the world and hear their stories. And I think it's, it's, it's a good opportunity for everyone that you can engage in and meet some meet some rad people and enjoy that that ball of mochi or peach or whatever you're you're chowing down on a little bit more there you go i love it man well thanks so much i'll go ahead and drop those links and tags in the show notes so if you want to connect with sam go for it and go get your mochi <laughs> date on thanks so much sam we'll talk to you later my pleasure